I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 122 of the podcast, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Uh, Andrew, now we're as guilty as anybody of this, but so often car media is just full of articles, podcasts, videos on the cars that you should buy. Yeah, buy this, buy that, yeah. Yeah, if you've got... We're not going to do that today. No, no we're not. And we actually, we spoke about it last week, didn't we? So last week the, the, the whole thing was about how to spend £20,000 on a used car. Um, and we had the idea for this episode during that recording, um, and we yeah. said we should do one all about the cars you shouldn't buy because people like us so rarely talk about that stuff. Um, yeah. So we're we're flipping the usual sort of car journalist thing on its head and trotting through to a whole a whole load of cars that, for various different reasons, you really shouldn't be spending your money on. Um, yeah. Before we do that, though, let's have a little trot through some of the articles that we've been posting on the app and on the website. Um, the one that's gone up this morning, I'm delighted with. It's another Ian Callum piece, all about the Aston Martins that he's contributed to over the years. Um, and what he's doing beautifully for us now is telling the backstory that actually I don't think has been told before. Um, and you learn so much about the process of car design and particularly pitching new models to big oems um mm. it's a it's a, just a great insight isn't it and also you know we we have with you know with aston martin and other companies you know journalists report on their understanding of what went on um and of course yeah that's fine but it's always one step removed and there are chinese whispers and things get misinterpreted and misunderstood and you know to have it literally from the bloke who was doing it you know, it couldn't be more firsthand. And, you know, the fantastic thing about this story is, you know, well, we, we know, obviously, that Ian did the DB7 and he did the Vanquish and he did um, you know, 99% of the DB9. Um, but it's, it's stuff like 
the mid-engine Vantage, that the Vantage was always going to be a mid-engine car. And uh, Ian did that before he did the DB9. And because the Vantage turned up with its engine in the front after the DB9, we always kind of think of it as being a derivative of the DB9. It wasn't at all. It came first, and Ian did it. Um, and then it was only when... Uh, well, I don't spoil the story, but you know there was a sort of change at the top, and decisions were made, and yeah. So, and you know the the luxury Ford Taurus based Aston Martin that was mooted, and the Lagonda that he did, and you know all this stuff which you just don't hear about, um, and it's all there. It's absolutely fascinating. It's you know it, it, there are so many cars that, and you and you sort of think about them, and you think, oh, what if they'd actually made it? How different would the company be? I mean, Aston Martin is obviously, you know heavily into mid-engine cars now not just with the um with the valkyrie and the valhalla coming but you know we know that the new vanquish is going to be a mid-engine two-seat car to rival you know cars like the 296 gtb and um and that sort of thing and you know there was it saying this is the kind of car designing that kind of car you know 20 years ago yeah it's fascinating it's absolutely riveting stuff it really Um, is and and some lovely images as well and he's he's showing the cars to us and i some of those images haven't been seen before. So it's definitely worth checking out that piece. Um, the Aston's I Created, it's called. Um, we've also got a two-part series from Andrew English about reviving iconic brands. How to do it, how why to you do shouldn't it, do it. Why you shouldn't <laughs> do it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a typically thorough Andrew English piece. Um, again, insightful um, and, and revealing. Um, and he looks at what's going on in the motorbike world as well as a kind of parallel to what's been happening in the car world. Um, go and check that out. We've also got a, another David Tuig piece, Almost Great, is this series that he's been writing for us, among others, where he looks at cars that are not quite great of the industry. Um, and this one's about the Porsche 928, um, which actually no, he isn't. confesses. Sorry, no, it isn't. No, it's, it's, about, it's not. It's about the 924. <laughs> it's about the Porsche 924. <laughs> Sorry, that's a mistake in my notes rather than anything else. Um, it's about the Porsche 924, and he admits that this is the kind of car that should appeal to him because it's a sports car, but also it's a sports car built to a budget. And some yeah. engineers would, you'd imagine, shy away from that kind of challenge. But David loves it because it's it's more discipline, um, and presumably it also means that more people can afford to buy the thing, which is important to him. Uh, uh, what, what really interested me about that. Uh, story was you know I always just thought the 924 was just this sort of poor apology for a car and then actually if you sort of read David's piece and you look at how it's configured and the motivation behind it and watch and what they actually achieved um, you know with this you know with this transaxle car with the gearbox between the rear wheels and the, and the weight distribution it was actually a pretty purely conceived car um, and it was almost great. It was actually, you know, it's strange because you think almost great, well, not, you know, not as good as you'd expected. This car, it, it actually was for me a car that having read David's piece, I actually have greater admiration for. Um, so I came, kind of came at it from the other direction. But, you know, whatever you got to do with it, it's a, it's a fascinating piece. Mm. And actually, it did inspire a run of Porsches, front engine Porsches, some of which were great. Um, Absolutely. So it, well, I mean, that all those cars, you know, your 968 Club Sport, yeah. you know. Is a 924 plus plus plus. Mm. Yeah, that's where that's it came from. Point. So, another yeah. piece, and actually, I think it's the most read piece we've put up recently, is also a very sad one um, for me, but a happy one as well because uh, my Alpine A110 is going. Um, after almost three years, 17,000 miles, it does have to go. Um, and you'll have to 
check out the story in the app or on the website to find out exactly why. Um, but it's because you hated it, wasn't it? Absolutely terrible. Most disappointing been, thing you've ever driven. I've been lying all shed, along. <laughs> always break down. Never completed the journey without leaving it a steaming wreck at the side of the road. Andrew Frankel's yeah. a naughty man. Terrible don't, car. Don't listen to him. Not one word. <laughs> um, no, I mean you'll have to find out. What, read the piece to find out why. But uh, the time has come, um, and I was. Do you know what the interest that piece got really took me by surprise. Um, although every time I've written about the car, it's got a good response. People really seem to be interested in that thing um, and interested in a real ownership experience as well. Um, so yeah. thanks to everyone who, who read the piece and, and get, you know, got involved. Um, and make them an offer. Well, that is the other thing I was going to say. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's on the market. If someone's looking for a lovely mint A110, um, get in touch. One very yeah. careful owner. One very Who other than indeed. you has driven that car? Do you know what? It's a good good roster of people. You have driven it. Um, yep. Chris Harris has driven it. Corinne Chandock has driven it. Um, and you've all said very, very charming things about the car. So yeah. it can't well, be that bad, it, can it? it? Pretty much, yeah. Um, it's not terrible, is it? I think a well, mate has, me, but you know. <laughs> I think a mate has driven it. Um, and then maybe Alpine people, but yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, all right. It is a good car. Okay. And make me a, an offer, please. Thank you. So let's talk about the cars that you shouldn't buy rather than the cars yes. that you definitely should buy, my Alpine. Um, you, I think, uh, have... I think... I think there are two categories here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you, do you want to explain? I think I've got some different categories, but I like Okay. So, so Okay. So the, the, the way this story unfolded in my brain was it started off as being cars that you'd really like to buy mm. but in theory in your heart but actually if you went and did it they would end up bleeding you white they'd just turn into complete nightmares yeah um but then i thought there's this whole other kind of car which i can't really imagine why anybody would want to buy and yet if you look at the prices asked for them they're completely bonkers mm-hmm. um so they're two completely yeah so you know there are cars you want uh, but shouldn't buy and cars you don't want, but people some reason, for some reason do and spend huge amounts of money on them. So that's, that's kind of like, that's how it divides down for me. But you've, uh, you've got something else on your mind. Yeah, so I've looked at it a slightly different way. Um, and I will reveal that in a moment. Um, I've, got okay. some, I've got some specific examples as well that I'm going to run through. But yeah, <clears> now I think, get- I think, can I just say, I think that all the cars we're going to talk about they're not just sort of us putting fingers in air. I mean, these are all individual cars that are for sale now with price tags on them. So we, so, you know, this is, this is, you know, the here and now, this isn't just, you know, journalists endlessly speculating. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually done a little bit of research. So do you want to maybe, maybe to get us underway? um, Can you give us a stupidly expensive crap car, please? Yeah. A Mark Three, uh, four, no Mark Four Ford Escort RS Turbo. Yes, nineteen eighty four, thirty two thousand five hundred pounds. So this is a front wheel drive Ford Escort, which was a terrible car when it was new. I know I was around. I was driving them. Thirty two thousand five hundred pounds. I mean, that's I, bananas. I, I mean, if if you look through the listings 
you know, we all know that Mark II escorts are, are revered and the supply's running out because lots of them rusted and the rest have all been turned into rally cars. But Mark II escorts, you can find Mark II escorts out there. And I'm not talking about, you know, original, you know, BDA engine, RS, whatever, 1600s or 1800s. You know, you're talking about Mark II escorts, which cost £50,000 now. And I just find that astonishing. But I don't find it as astonishing as a front-wheel drive Escort, mm. an RS Turbo, for £32,500. I mean, on what, on what kind of world is that, is that any kind of good idea? To, I mean, th- maybe that there's something I've missed about these things. I'm not sure it's in terribly good condition, but I just don't understand it. So, uh, yeah, we've seen some cars, particularly sort of 80s um, stuff, often hot hatches or, you know, blue-collar performance cars, that have gone bananas in terms of values in recent years, in the last decade or yeah. something. And I think it's the, the explanation is that these are people who lusted after these cars in their teenage years or you know, early adulthood in the 80s when they were new, and only now can they afford them. And that's driven values up really sharply, um, which is fine. But it still doesn't... You're not getting 30-whatever-thousand-pounds worth of car for, for that money, are you? It's not a one thing I could experience. I can tell you, which is a hard and fast rule that I think applies to all cars, is that if they weren't good when they're new, they yeah. never somehow become good over time. Mm. Just because they're old doesn't make them classic. Mm. A rubbish new car twenty years down the road is a rubbish old car. End of. <laughs> <laughs> True, including the Escort RS Turbo. Well, do you know, I'm glad you started with that one because I'm going to give you one of mine. Um, and okay. mine's a 1985 Ford Escort RS Turbo. Um, same car. But this is, this is actually a slightly different category because this is Princess Diana's old car. It's, right. It's up for sale at Silverstone Auction soon with no reserve. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what it goes for. But I'm, I'm proposing a different type of car that you probably shouldn't buy. And that's the one with a celebrity or famous former owner. Do you agree with me that it's actually just a waste of money? For me, well, I suppose to an extent. It depends who, I, can I see. I, I can see Steve McQueen heading in the direction of this conversation. But yeah. um, I, I suppose it depends who i mean if there was you know a car that i don't know peter revson or mark donahue or one of my heroes had owned actually i think it would get in the way because i Mm. I think it would actually make me want to drive it less rather than more and i don't know i mean the fact that diana had owned a car is absolutely neither here nor there to me at all it would really make absolutely no difference whatever (laughs) um i'm just not that interested in that sort of thing i just didn't i just I'm just interested in how they drive. But I do like cars with interesting histories. So, you know, I like cars that, you know, if they've had, you know, particularly racing cars, if they've done Le Mans or, mm. you know, done interesting stuff, then that does interest me because I like, you know, I've been very lucky, for instance, to drive, you know, Bentley's team blower, uh, which is a very, very original car. And I like sitting there and thinking, these are the pedals that Tim Burke impressed. This is the steering wheel he held. Those are the instruments he looked at while he was thundering down the Mulsanne Strait at 125 miles an hour in 1930. I like that, but I like it because it's it, that's actually for me more about the car. Um, yeah, and the fact that I'm you know sitting there and doing all those things. But the fact that 
you know, Lady Diana or or anybody else had owned a terrible car. Um, no, absolutely no interest in me at all. I often see uh, cars listed <clears throat> online as formerly owned by David Beckham or someone of that ilk, you know, proper pop culture sports person or celebrity. Um, and the dealers are expecting some sort of premium. And I just don't understand. You know, it is different if, um, as you say, if they are heroes of the car world or the racing world, I think that, that makes a difference. But just some random celebrity, just because they happen to have owned it, doesn't mean yeah. um, you should rush out and go and buy this car. You know, it doesn't improve uh, the also, experience. The other thing with those cars is... I do have a specific example in my mind, but I probably won't mention names because I could get into trouble. But okay, so I know that there was a car that got given away in a competition in a magazine. um, And the big hook behind this car was that it had been owned by someone unbelievably famous. Okay, that Mm. was the big hook. I also happen to know that that unbelievably famous person owned that car for approximately 30 seconds. um, Or for as long as it took for... A photographer to take a picture of the person standing by the car and for his or her name to be on the v5 mm. they never drove it they they owned it in the most technical term only for the shortest period of time it is possible to own a car and it was done simply to pump up its value so it could so it, it could be a worthwhile competition um winning thing um because frankly the car on its own wouldn't have been worth giving away so <laughs> So I think you need to be careful about that sort of stuff, isn't yeah. it? You know, it, yeah. if, if you are really into it, I mean, you know, it's one thing, isn't it? If it's the, I think there's a car which is up for sale, I can't remember what it was, but which Clark Gable owned for 30 years. You know, fair enough. You know, clearly that was Clark Gable's car. But sometimes mm. these are smoke and mirrors jobs, aren't they? Mm. Um, and the celebrities probably, you know, being paid to do this. And, you know, the, it, it, as I say, it's ownership only in the most technical sense. Mm. Yeah, avoid as far as I'm concerned. Um, <clears throat> okay, can we have one of yours, please? Okay, <laughs> a 1997 TVR Cerbera. Okay, go on. Get this with a Maserati engine in it. Oh my god! <laughs> which has done a hundred thousand miles, and they yeah. want fifty-four thousand pounds for it. <laughs> so that TVR would have had the Rover V8, would it? It could have had a V8 or it could have had an Al Melling V8 in it. It could have had, I don't know which, what it would have had originally in it, but it hasn't got either of them in it now. It's got a 4.7 litre. It's got, a, it's got an engine out of a, you know, a, a Gran Turismo or a Gran Cabrio or, or yeah. you know, one of those. You know, it's the Maserati normally aspirated V8 engine, which is a, you know, it's a good engine, but it doesn't belong under the bonnet of a TBR no. and it doesn't make it worth £54,000. And I just, yeah. It is curious, isn't it? The amount of work people put into these sort of Frankenstein cars. Yeah. For what? For well, what? It's, it's, oh, I suppose it's a lovely engine, isn't it? Maybe it sounds good. I'm sure it does. I mean, maybe, maybe it was a, an original Al Melling V8 um, and it went bang because, you know, we know that on occasion they did that um, and they just thought, well, rather than get another one, I don't know, this is pure speculation on my part, but um, maybe they thought, oh, I'll get an engine which won't go bang, which is the same sort of size, makes the same sort of noise. Wouldn't have the same sort of power though, would it? As it compared to a four and a half litre server engine, wouldn't have. But that I mean, I think I had four hundred fifty horsepower. Did it? Wow. Plenty yeah, no, the server was a prop. Yeah, they were and, properly powerful things. 
And what do they want? Fifty something thousand pounds for it. Fifty four thousand pounds. Yeah, that's um, a stretch. And, 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 and the car's done a hundred thousand miles. <laughs> um, Twenty of them on that engine. So, one thing I would say, just while we're on the t- subjects of TVRs, um, yeah, we, we have, as have many other journalists, sort of you know taken the mick out of TVRs and the reliability of it. I think they are actually genuinely, and I know this isn't the thrust of this podcast, but I think they are becoming better buys because the fact that they are old and a bit sort of rubbish at times is mattering less now they're becoming classics. I think when they were mm. new or nearly new and you kind of compare them to what else was around at the time, I always found their case very hard to make. But now mm. that, you know, something like a a Griffith from the mid sort of 1990s, I think it's actually a charming looking car. And I think the really important point is, is that the fact it was probably built quite badly when it was new doesn't matter anymore because everything that was built badly would have fallen off and broken and been put back by presumably somebody who knew what they were doing. Um, and, yeah, and the basics in those cars, if you get particularly cars from the pre-Al Melling era um, with Borg Warner gearboxes and Rover V8 engines, they're just, you know, and they've got strong backbone chassis and they've got glass fibre bodies, which won't rust. I mean, they're actually, mm. you know, they're probably not that difficult to maintain and they probably won't go wrong that often. So, yeah. Anyway, so I just thought I'd put, pitch that in there. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I drove a Camaro a couple of years ago. Um, and I think you mentioned this on the podcast. You were surprised at how classic it felt rather than... Yeah modern classic or like a modern sports car and i thought exactly the same it felt like it was 20 years older than it really was um but maybe i said i thought they were close it felt more in time and feel it felt more closely related to an austin healy than a modern car yeah Um, and when they were new that was a terrible thing but now actually it's very charming part part of the appeal isn't it yeah right let me give you another one of mine then and this is another category of car that as far as i'm concerned you shouldn't get involved with okay this is a brand new range rover it's a new model um it's a p530 a v81 um first edition uh and it's done very few miles how many miles has it done i don't know basically delivery miles up for 181,000 pounds oh my goodness this is a 141,000 pound car um, there'll be some options on there, I suppose, but you're paying a forty grand premium just to have it now. You will, you will never get that money back. Once the the market is flooded with cars, as production production ramps up and people start moving them on, the value and the of that chip car goes away, which it will. Yeah, the value of that car yeah. just drops to the level of any other comparable car, and that forty grand premium that you paid because you couldn't be bothered to wait is gone. Yeah. And there's a lot of this going on at the moment because, as we all know, cars are in very yeah. short supply. Yeah. Um, and particularly, you know, expensive cars which need lots and lots and lots of chips in them. Um, so if you've got one, um, you know, you will probably be able to persuade someone to pay mm. more money for it than you've paid yourself. So you can flip it. Um, mm. You're absolutely right. That's a, You know, don't do it. You know, wait. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, do do it, but do it with your eyes open because, yeah, you fine. know, that Range Rover, you'll lose... Unless you can find someone to flip it onto, but you won't be able to because you already paid 180 grand for it. You know, you will lose tens of thousands of pounds driving it out of the showroom. Mm. And do you know what? Or there'll off that be, drive forever. There'll be multi-millionaires out there who just don't care. They just want this new thing. And that's kind of fine. That's fine. But, 
that's that's up to them, isn't it? By and large, getting involved with the overs thing, the overs market, I just I don't understand. I I sort of get it for particular cars, you know. A new when the 911R was new, the overs market was bananas for that thing. Actually, I think that got out of control. But there there was such a particular appeal. It was such a special car that maybe it kind of makes sense. And actually, they've held on to a lot of that value, haven't they? But something yeah, like a I Range Rover. No, but if it's a limited edition car, which is known to be special, and it's not just some marketing exercise, um, and there are genuinely more people who want them than there are cars in existence, then, you know, my schoolboy economics tells me that, you know, supply and demand meet at the price. Um, And therefore, you know, people will pay more for that. Um, And if you want one, that's what you're going to have to do. But it's simply not the case with a Range Rover, and we're not singling out Land Rover here. It's, it's, it's with all cars like that. You know, the demand will be mm. satisfied. It will. The supply mm. will be restored, and the price will come down. It's basic economics. Um, so, you know, if you're going to do it, do it with your eyes open. Do not think that because you've got something which not very many other people have at the moment, uh, that makes it a sound investment. It doesn't, because, you know, not long from now, you know, the market will become... Yeah, and the other thing is that, you know, we often get, don't we, and we saw that we saw this with, well, I mean, McLaren did it and um, Bentley did it in the early 2000s, is you get a company which has a car it can sell. Um, I'm talking about, you know, things like the Continental GT um, and cars like the McLaren, you know, the 650S and the 570S and that sort of thing. And, you know, because they spent a lot of money developing these cars, they suddenly think, wow, um we can sell these things and so there is a period when because these are very new cars onto the market and there aren't many around they are quite valuable but then what the manufacturer does is think whoopee we can make lots of these and they flood the market uh and then you know suddenly the thing which you thought was a smart investment because it was rare and it was special and it was interesting and everybody's saying whizzy things about it suddenly there are just loads of them around um and you know it's not the investment that you thought it was and you know and and it becomes a depreciation and, and you know it's it's difficult it's difficult it really is um so yeah, yeah don't do it i uh, yeah and I, I i think even people with means don't like getting their fingers burned do they that's why they no. have means because they're careful um so yeah i'm glad you agree with me on that one um yeah right let's have one of yours let me do one yeah okay so this is an example of don't buy a car, don't buy the wrong car from the right brand. Okay, mm. so don't think to yourself, I want a such and such, mm. but you can't really afford it, so you get the, you can get the cheapest possible one you can. Okay, so an example I've got here is a Ferrari Mondial 8, <laughs> which you can currently buy for £33,000, which probably doesn't sound very much money to spend on a Ferrari. Now, the days of 10 grand Ferraris are gone. You used to be able to do it. You used to be able to spend £10,000 on a... For an automatic 412, no, a 400i. Um, and, you know, th- that, that would have been, you know, the bills that you get on that. I mean, if ever there was an example of the cheapest cars becoming the most expensive, that would have been it. This isn't that because, you know, Mondial 8s don't have any particular horror stories behind them, whatever. But they're just, they're just not very good cars. Mm. 214 horsepower in quite a big <laughs> 2 plus 2 Ferrari. You know, in the US, they were, I think they had even less power than that because of emission stuff. They were getting to, they were struggling to get much under 10 seconds to 60. 
like sort of maybe wow. late eights, something like that. And they really struggled to do 130 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they are for, I mean, they're kind of, they're Ferraris in name, but not much more than that because they really can't get out their own way. The later Mondials, um, the QVs and the 3.2s, um, are a lot better. Um, but you know, the cheapest Ferrari you can buy at the moment, which is in any kind of sensible condition is a Mondial 8 and it's cheap for a reason. Um, because it was just a, you know, it, it was a car that came along. Two things happened. One Ferrari needed a two plus two. Um, and it was it. And it was also came along at the time when suddenly people had to be, get serious about emissions. Um, and power was, was strangled. Um, and that engine, that, three litre v8 engine um had had much more power in the 1970s or in 308s and that sort of thing but they had to put fuel injection on it and that just killed it um so yeah 204 214 horsepower ferrari it's not great is it so yeah yeah, it's a really good example because you you think you're buying into the ferrari legend don't you you think aha it's a prancing horse i'm going to experience what it's like to own a ferrari but by the sounds of it you're actually going to experience something slightly different yeah Mm, good one. Yeah. Mm. Right, let me give you another one of mine. Um, and this is another example of a category that's perhaps best avoided, which is the cheapest example of something available. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a sort of social media or YouTube trope. I bought the cheapest such and such in the country. Um, let's find out how badly wrong it goes. Um, and... The issue is that, as we've said so many times before, with a certain type of car, the cheapest example will often turn out to be the most expensive because it's cheap for a reason, isn't it? It's leggy Mm -hmm. or it's had a load of owners or it's not been properly maintained or it's got a fault that's coming over the horizon towards you that's going to cost a fortune. Um, And it's it's so often worth holding out, travelling a bit further, spending a little bit more for an example that's been really beautifully cared for and has really robust history. Um, So having said that, I've got a couple of examples here that uh, there are probably better examples of this, but I I, I was intrigued by this one. This is the cheapest McLaren currently for sale in the UK, certainly on Autotrader. It's a a 2012 12C, so it's an early car. Um, Yeah. 36,000 miles, 66 grand. Mm. You see, I quite like the idea of that. See, this is, it's had five plus owners. So we don't know exactly how many owners. Um, it's an intriguing one, isn't it? I think there are other cars that could give you so much more grief um, if you just went out and bought the cheapest one because you're desperate to have one of those. But I do wonder yeah. if this McLaren might actually be okay. I don't know. Murky 66 grand. The problem, the, the problem with those cars, particularly those early McLarens, is you know they were really quite specialist bits of kit. Um, mm. You know, with that, you know, that interconnected um, yeah. semi-active suspension system, and so on. And you know, if they can't even tell you how many people have owned, you know, so that car is a. 2012 car so it's 10 years old so Mm. and it's had five plus owners so at a frequency of absolutely no less than once every other year so so whoever's had that car has moved it on Mm. yeah run 
It would be. <laughs> okay, another example of the same thing. The cheapest DB9 I could find. Um, £25,000. It's not a lot of yeah. money for a beautiful car. For a beautiful V12 yeah. Callum Aston Martin. 450 horsepower. Yeah. Um, it's done 96,000 miles. You see, <laughs> I mean, it might be all right. It probably won't be, but it, you know, it, it, to me, so much with a car like that, so much of that just depends on the history. Mm. If the history is, is known, and you know, if it if it if it's belonged to one person, and all he or she has done is gently toddle up and down the motorway in it for some whatever reason, then it'd probably be all right. Mm. But if it's had fifteen owners and you don't know where it's been, and half the history is missing. Run a bloody mile. So, I mean, to me, cars like that, they, you know, they can be both things. They can either be, you know, cars that you should avoid like a pint of time-expired prawns, or they should be cars that, you know, should be embraced and cherished because it can go both ways. They can be dreams and they can be nightmares. And, you know, the job is is, is figuring out which, isn't it? But, I mean, they're always going to be a punt. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That, it. It is a punt. That is the right word. Um, right, yeah. Give us another one. Okay, so this is another category. Okay, mm-hmm. these are these old cars that have done no miles. Ah, yeah. okay, concerning. So yeah. there, are t- there are two things with these sorts of cars that happen. Firstly, people charge an extraordinary amount of money for these cars because they've done no miles. Secondly, if they've done no miles, <laughs> things don't stop aging just because they're not doing anything. Actually, you know, as any classic car owner will tell you until, you know, you die of boredom, the worst thing you can do to an old car is leave it. Yeah, because they just seize up. Mm. Um, And, you know, and even if, you know, it doesn't, even if the engine or the gearbox or something big doesn't seize, you know, all the bits of rubber in it, all the unions, everything just, you know, all the bushings, all the the seals, seals, um, yeah, they just don't like standing around. You know, they need to be lubricated. They need to be used. They need to be moved. Um, and so, okay, so the, ex- <laughs> the example I've got here, okay, it's an Escort Cosworth. Um, I think 93 Escort Cosworth. I think, I'm trying to remember now, I think it's done 217 miles in oh my God. nearly 30 years. And they want £150,000. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so... And, and that's right, there's something else. The biggest thing is, the only appeal of that car, and the only reason anybody might pay that, pay that kind of insane money for it is because it's done no miles. Yeah. So then what you're doing mm. is you're buying a car you can't use. Mm. Because the moment you use it, you're destroying the only thing it's got going for it. Mm. Because if you put miles on it, it's no longer a car. So unless you are a museum curator... Yeah looking for and if you're a museum curator frankly you wouldn't buy an escort cosworth because they weren't very good cars they look mm. amazing they're wonderful looking cars but they were never as nice a driver as a sierra cosworth um i always thought that they were as cars i thought they were incredible it's one of the most overrated cars out there mm. and to pay a hundred and fifty thousand pounds you must always think about what else could you do with that money <laughs> there's so much you could think of a gt3 <laughs> you could buy for that um and yeah so a zero miles car or a you know a car that's done less than 10 miles a year for that just don't do it unless you all you really want to do 
If you're the sort of hoarder that wants to stick it in a dehumidified, air-conditioned garage with a cover over it and go in there late at night with your glass of whiskey and have a look at it and do whatever you're going to... I mean, sorry. I mean, if that's that's (laughs) really how you enjoy your car, then that's absolutely fine. But... It's not for you, is it? It's about as far from me as you could possibly get. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, as as an enthusiast or someone who actually wants to use the car, you'd be better off with one that's been used regularly and properly cared for. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, Low miles, not no miles. Yeah. Um, right. I want to give you one of mine because I just stumbled upon it. it I don't think it really slots into any particular category. Um, <laughs> but it's a Land Rover Defender. Um, yeah. It's, it's a you know, previous shape one, not the new one. Um, yeah. And it's listed as a 2018 car, which... I don't think that can be right, can it? They, uh, it well, uh, it, it might have been registered that, but it certainly wasn't yeah. built then. Okay, so this is a a six by six conversion. So it's got three axles, six wheels. Um, yeah. So, so it looks fairly striking. It's built by the Chelsea Truck Company, um, and actually, I don't have a, a problem at all with what the Chelsea Truck Company do. You know, they build slightly tarted up Defenders and Wranglers and that sort of thing, and they, they do what they do, and I'm sure people who buy them love them. That's fine. Um, but I actually drove this car, this exact car, um, a few years ago. It was dreadful. Dreadful. <laughs> it weighs so much. It, it had the four-cylinder diesel engine with no yeah. go whatsoever. You were almost yeah. flat to the boards just to get the thing rolling. It yeah. was noisy. It was... yeah annoyingly long um and they want half a million quid for it oh my <laughs> god sorry i thought you just said half a million quid but you clearly didn't i actually did i i still wonder if it's a typo <laughs> <laughs> half a million well i mean you, there's a bit of me that admires that because you know you can ask whatever you like can't you <laughs> yeah you can it's a one-off half a million pounds, yes. Yeah, so that deservedly was, rare. And let's keep it that way. Um, so I just wanted to give that example because it amused me. Um, but I've got a couple of others that slot into a one of the categories that you mentioned earlier, which is a well. The way I found these two cars, <clears throat> I got on the classifieds um, and I searched for V12 powered cars for less than ten grand, um, and I found sixteen or seventeen of them. Um, and the one that I have here is I'm trying to work out what they are yeah Benzes and things like that yeah so this one is a Daimler double sixes this one is a Mercedes CL 2002 car a CL 600 so 6 litre V12 with 367 horsepower that's an unstressed engine Um, and it's 7,000 pounds Okay, let me try and defend it. Go on. You know, it's, well, you know, it's, just, it's just a bit too expensive for that. Because if it was, you know, I, I do, I'm a believer in the, in the disposable car. Okay? Mm. So I think there are cars which, you, which sound amazing and which you can buy for buttons because they're so old and so knackered and everything else. And you just take the view that you've already lost the money. And so you, so you, you write it off to nothing in your head 
um, before it even arrives and then you drive it for as long as it lasts and then when when that light appears on the dashboard uh, you throw it away and you, yeah and, and you might get lucky um and you might not you might have a car which lasts you a couple of years at which stage you are absolutely quits and you might have one which lasts you 10 minutes at which stage you haven't lost a huge amount of money seven thousand pounds is a bit too much to fit into that isn't it i mean that's it is hurt. yeah yeah that is going to sting a little bit just having to write off seven thousand pounds so the other one <clears throat> that slots into this category is a 2006 bmw 7 series a 760 li so again a v12 um that's 10 grand so that's really not disposable money um no and the thing about these cars is that <clears throat> okay so i've um in the last year or so had a renovated a house we bought a, a very very tatty three-bedroom house um and we renovated it and it cost a load of money and it's you, you know the we're delighted with the results it's lovely inside but there are things like the windows, you know, we're not going to replace the windows that we don't like because it's, it's too expensive to do it. We're not going to um, make it look beautiful from the outside because it's too expensive to do it. Um, so that, you know, we're not going to take it from a total basket case to beautifully finish because it's just too expensive. If we'd had the money to be able to renovate it top to bottom, inside and out, we would have bought a different house instead because we'd, we'd have been able to afford yes. it, you know? So my yeah. theory with a house like the one we bought is that it actually takes two separate owners to get it all the way up to scratch because you need two people to come in and spend a load of money on it to get it to that point. One person isn't going to do it because they would have bought a different house in the first place. And so my theory with these cars as well is that if you can afford to run them or if you can afford to write off that money or if you can afford... Uh, you know, when that big bill does come along, probably you're just going to buy a different car in the first place because you can afford to do so. So these yeah. these cars kind of fit into a weird kind of category where, I, in my mind, the only people who buy them are those who take a bit of a punt, get burnt, and probably don't do it again. Because you have to think about, you know, sooner or later you're going to try and sell it to someone. And, and they all go through exactly that through exactly that thought process. And actually, there aren't that many people who are prepared to chance what is still, you know, a reasonable sum of money on a car which is frankly likely to cost cost them a lot um, when it's not in itself, you know. I mean, actually, I think a CL six hundred uh, when it when they were new, I thought they were pretty good things. Um, but yeah, it's never going to be an icon, is it? It's never going to be a sort of legendary car. It's never going to be an appreciating asset um so yeah you're absolutely right i can't it just feels like <clears throat> the cl in particular now only makes sense for people trying to make a story out of buying it you know if you've got a youtube channel or you're a whatever you've got a car blog or something but, there's a story there but yeah but it's because it's, it's but it's the wrong price isn't it because seven thousand pounds Mm. isn't a lot of money to pay for one of those but it's not a so it's such a surprising amount of money people are going to prick up their ears and go i'm sorry yeah seven thousand pounds yeah that's true a, you know yeah, it's a, true a, a knack old, it's the wrong money it's the, if it were 1500 quid you're mm. thinking oh okay let's have a that's look interesting yeah it would be interesting having a big v12 on your driveway though yeah i'm sort of Oil drawn to leaking that out the bottom of it which you can't Staining from some untraceable leak yeah yeah okay okay avoid can have a go yeah okay so this is this next car is the sort of 
always, however much buying an older car is a sort of a bit of a leap of faith and a sort of heart overhead type of decision, never ever abandon yourself entirely to what you really want um, and spend a huge amount of money for a car which isn't very good or is in fact completely awful. So you want a convertible Aston Martin, an old, beautiful, not from the sort of mass-produced era, um, but from the hand-built era. I mean, it just sounds like the most perfect thing to go wafting around in. So you end up spending a hundred thousand pounds on a 1996 Virage Volante. Now, Ooh. the Virage Volante is one of the worst cars I've ever driven. <laughs> it's absolutely appalling. What and this one's automatic. Oh God! What specifically is wrong with that car? Everything. Pretty much. <laughs> so much scuttle shake. Yeah. That. <laughs> they don't ride or handle at all that engine that 5.3 litre v8 which is really old by then um they had to i think they must have put a load of additional strength in it because even in the standard standard virage it was never a fast car but it was slower than ever in the convertible and with that automatic gearbox it might even be a three-speeder it's certainly not more than four but it's one i think it's one of those sort of old gm slush matic terrible Mm. things so what you have is you have an aston martin that doesn't go it doesn't steer it doesn't handle it doesn't ride um it rattles about all mm. over the place uh well it was i can remember when I, I can i can still remember when i first drove one and just thinking what i mean okay my expectations weren't high, high because the virage wasn't a great car but there aren't many cars which have suffered more for having their roofs chopped off than than that and it is it is the ultimate in sort of you know self-indulgent cars that you oh the only reason you have a car like that is because you wanted to be seen in it and if you really want to be seen in a virage volante you don't have to spend a hundred thousand pounds on one you can spend half that money um and i just but even at half that money you know fundamentally to me a bad car is worth no amount of money because it's Mm. a bad car Mm. um and this is not only a bad car it's a really expensive really bad car yeah it's again it's not the dream that you think you're buying into is it it's something quite different Mm. at all yeah good good one have you got any more yeah <laughs> like, I won't okay. go on you've uh, run okay, me so, out okay, okay so well no, no, there's, there's actually there's only other well I've got I've got lots more but there's it, there's one more kind of car um, which is just the really cheap sort of and, and you can find these cars they've all got um, terms attached to them like could benefit from some light <laughs> recommissioning sure right. yes which by what you mean is box of bits non-runner yeah? yeah and sometimes they look superficially flawed. so so i mean so for instance there's one here uh, i've got there's a a 1991 bentley mulsanne s Oof. yeah okay big saloon mm. massive v8 engine four grand <laughs> yeah it's work it works it's clinging to an mot but it's like i mean i suppose on my my disposable car basis it doesn't matter very much but you know it's just like i mean that would just be a ticking time bomb Mm. i mean and the problem with people always think about oh you know i think they kind of convince themselves that 
I don't know, because the engines are quite lazy and quite strong and they have these American gearboxes in them, which, you know, are pretty simple and that sort of thing. But, you know, what the, the, the one word we haven't mentioned in this podcast so far, in this podcast so far, is rust. And actually, that's what kills these cars. Um, you know, even if it is mechanically sound, um, you know, it's a Bentley. It's 30 years old. You know, it's cost £4,000, which means that no one is going to, you know, look, have looked after it. Um or it's unlikely to have been. I mean, unless it has got an incontrovertible history showing that it has been pampered to within an inch of its life for every day of its existence to date. I mean, I'm not actually saying don't buy it, but what I am saying is it is go into it as a sort of... Well, either spend nothing on it and throw it away when it goes wrong, or just have your eyes wide open. I mean, some people do this. I mean, there are people who... I can remember talking to an Alvis... Um, dealer and restorer and somebody just delivered a car to them in cardboard boxes literally in boxes it had just been it was the ultimate barn find um, and they said they were going to completely rebuild the car into some alvis saloon from the 1930s um, and i knew that, that car then would probably worth about 30 40 thousand pounds i said i don't understand how you can do that for the money and they said well you can't then we're going to spend about a hundred thousand pounds doing it and at the end of it he's going to have a car that's worth about 30 40 thousand pounds and I said, well, he knows this, he knows it, and he's happy with it because he wants what he wants that car. And there are, you know, and there are some people who are prepared to spend huge amounts of money on cars, which will never be, they'll never get the money back and they're happy to do it. And if that's you, good luck to you. That's absolutely fine. But just look past the headline. If it's a 30 year old Bentley that costs £4,000, there's a reason it costs £4,000. And as we were saying earlier, you know, it could end up to be end up being the most expensive Bentley that you've ever bought. And you could, you could so easily spend £24,000 on a really nice example and end up way better off than you ever would be with a, you know, with a complete shed. So, yeah, I think that's probably my last um, kind of car. I've that got other a... examples, but I, th- I think it makes the point. Yeah, that's a brilliant example. Um Okay, well, there you go. Some cars that you really shouldn't buy. Um, it was fun to take a slightly different point of view, wasn't it? And yeah. turn it on its head. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, we've got a good listener question coming up. I told you we'd definitely do one this week. So thank you, Mike Hall, for your question. Um, before we do that, let me just say, please go and rate and review the podcast. Leave a little review, leave a little rating, five-star rating, obviously, um, and also subscribe and follow wherever you listen to or watch the podcast because that's how we find a bigger audience. Please keep doing that. Um, so the question comes from Mike Hall, who he says that in 1970, he passed his driving test um, and he had a series of minis. The third was a one litre Mini Cooper that he loved. He modified it. He upgraded it. Um, it was his pride and joy. Um, he says he would absolutely love to be able to drive it now and feel how it compares to those memories. But my question is, <clears throat> are our memories of old loved cars seen through rose-tinted glasses and would the truth be that they were really bad in reality? So this is all about going back to cars that you loved or owned years and years ago. Um, yeah. Have you done that yourself? Yeah, yeah, I have. And it's it's a really unsatisfactory answer because they can be both yeah yeah um you know I'll give, let me give you two examples both of which i owned when i was young both of which i have driven quite recently one of which i owned quite recently so um 205 gti 
I had one of those when I was briefly an idiot in the city in the 1980s. Um, and I loved it then. And when I drove another, um, not that long ago, I loved it so much, I bought it. And I kept it for six, seven years. And that car was absolutely as good as I remembered it to be. In fact, it might have even been a bit better because, you know, all modern hatchbacks by comparison are so heavy and cumbersome. And no, I absolutely loved it. But Mark I Golf GTI, which I also had at the time, absolutely loved go and drive one now you've done this haven't you and it Mm. just feels a bit slow a bit ponderous and nothing like the icon that it is revered to be and i'm sorry if you know if people listen to this find that you know sort of i don't know a bit odd that i'm dissing the mark one gold it's not a bad car but it's just nothing like as good and it's when you drive one you kind of think to yourself it's a nice old thing but you don't want one Mm. you know nice experience to have give it back never think about it again um, whereas in the day, well, you weren't even alive, but you know, they were absolutely the thing. They had a transformative, I mean, they invented it. Well, they didn't invent, but they, you know, because of them, an entire category of, um, cars came into existence. So there is no easy answer. Mm. Um, all you can do is just go back and see, and see how you feel. Cause I, I've, I've literally had both experiences, um, with cars that I owned when they were new and they were amazing. And one of which I love so much again that I bought it, the other which I just thought, well, yeah, nice mm. old thing. Yeah, it's that is probably to do with the specific car, isn't it? And even that the example of the specific make and model. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, you just have to go back and try it for yourself. But I'm, um, so I started in this line of work not quite 15 years ago. It'd be 15 years ago at the end of this, this year. Um, and so, you know, particularly now that I'm looking for a replacement for my Alpine, I'm wondering what I should buy. And I'm thinking about some of the cars that I drove uh, as a car journalist during the early years of my career. And, mm. you know, the ones that I really loved back then. And there is a yeah. part of me that thinks it can only be, di- be disappointing to go and revisit these cars now that they have 70, 80,000 miles on them or whatever. Now that they are 10, Maybe. 15 years old. Um, but I don't know. Perhaps I will have more to say on this soon if I start driving a few of these to see what I should put my money into. Um, but I do wonder, you know, when your expectations are really high because of you have some very fond memories, it's almost inevitable that's going to disappoint, isn't it? Well, except sometimes it doesn't. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Golf well, GTI. Yeah, yeah. 205 GTI was you know, completely the reverse. It was great. Mm. Interesting question, though. Thank you, Mike Hall. Um, please get your questions in because we like ending the podcast that way. You can either send us a message on social media or email us info at the-intercooler.com. Um, and of course, do go and check out our website, our beautiful new website, the-intercooler.com. Um, and you can sign up and start your free trial. Um, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Thanks. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.